Evergreen Church, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's good to be together. And uh, and it's quite special that we get to come together on actual Christmas morning on the Lord's Day, actually. I think this is a special treat that we get every, I don't know, six years or so. I want to extend a warm welcome, as uh, Pastor Jeremy has earlier, to our guests. We're grateful that you're here. Grateful that families could gather together with the family of God here at Evergreen Church to worship Jesus Christ. And um, on a personal note, just our family is so grateful just for the love that Evergreen Church has extended to us. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, we, uh, we've lost our father last Friday, and uh, the church has been amazing. And we could feel the love of the father through the, the church, through prayers, through messages, through meals, just a kind word, uh, many ways. And it's, it just amazes me how... God's love is shown through the body, and it's, uh, I just am humbled and just feel a great privilege just to be able to stand before you and say, you know, we're doing all right, and, and the hope of Christmas becomes more and more real, you know, and, and we know what we believe, we know what we talk about, we know what we preach, we know what we meditate on, but the Lord has a way of taking that divine truth and taking it deeper into your soul when you go through things. And, and also we're able to feel the love of Christ, the love of the Father through one another. And so we're just so grateful for the church family. It's just amazing, amazing time. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. In no unclear terms, this is what we celebrate, the coming of the Lord of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Brother Keith Fukuyama at Luke chapter 2 gives us the most detailed account of what day, what that day was like. You know, we have the travel to Bethlehem with a pregnant uh, mother from Nazareth, the northern Israel, to, to the south, to Bethlehem, the city of David, through the providential hand of God, which uh, ordained a census to be taken in that moment, in that year. We have the baby born in a manger placed in a feeding trough because there was no room in the guest room of his relatives in Bethlehem, Joseph's relatives. We see the angels taking care of the flock by night and the angel appearing and the multitude of angels appearing, seeing glory to God in the highest. We have that account. We have the account where the shepherds rushed to the manger to see what the angels have told them about. It's a glorious scene. This is the scene that you see as you uh, drive through, uh, to go see Christmas lights, you see various nativity scenes. Of course, those, those aren't accurate because the wise men aren't supposed to be there yet. We know this. They come years later. But nonetheless, you see Mary and Joseph, some animals, with the baby Jesus laid in the manger, in the feeding trough. Manger meaning a feeding trough where animals would feed. This is where the Lord was placed. But before we get to this glorious scene, there is a backstory that I think our church needs to hear about. Because in God's providence, there's a lot of other things that take place behind the scenes before we get there. So Matthew describes a woman betrothed to a man named Joseph, and she was with child. Mary's husband needs some clarification before he's able to move forward with this plan that God has. And so today, we're going to take a deeper look into the nature of our Lord and Savior's birth. 
His incarnation. And on this Christmas morning, we're going to journey with Joseph and be able to process in his mind what was taking place before he decided to take that journey with his betrothed wife to Bethlehem. So we're going to journey with him today, and we're going to learn more about the virgin birth. So I'll be out of Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or your apps, please turn to Matthew chapter 1. I'll be reading from 18 to 25. I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is basically an updated NASB version, which I normally preach out of. Okay, so let's rise as we read Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. 18 to 25. As we journey with Joseph... Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When he, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the one who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place in order that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. And Joseph got up from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account, which explains to Joseph and to all of us even more clearly how you sent your son to be with your people. So, Father, I pray your spirit allow me to preach your word faithfully, with power, with conviction. And I pray your spirit will implant these truths deep into our hearts. And you will energize these truths deep into our hearts so that we will know your son more, know your plan more, know your heart more, so that we will love you more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ makes Christianity distinct. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is the foundation of what we believe in. Everything that we believe in hinges upon this fact that Jesus was virgin born. Without the virgin birth, there is no Christianity. There is no hope. They just become a bunch of stories full of sentiment without any hope. By understanding the virgin birth, we know the heart of God more, and it will grow in our affections for God more. So let's just get right into the sermon here. The virgin birth, point number one, was conceived by the Spirit. The virgin birth was conceived by the Spirit. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, Betrothal, this is where the story begins. What is betrothal? 
betrothal. This was a marriage commitment. This was a binding commitment culturally in that day. This was beyond a regular engagement. Today, a man and a wife may get engaged, and for whatever reason, a month or two later, decide to call off. That's fine. This happens time to time. But in this culture, in this time period, a betrothal was a culturally binding commitment. These man and wife were considered already married, yet without living together, yet without living as husband and wife yet. Why did they have this period, which lasted for about a year? It was for testing to see if husband and wife would be faithful to one another before launching off into a life together. So if you were to dissolve this commitment, it would be like getting a divorce. This is a serious commitment that was made between Mary and Joseph. And so this is what Matthew 18 says. His mother, Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary, earthly mother, had been betrothed to Joseph. And during this testing period, what would you think could be the worst possible scenario? What would the worst possible scenario be during this waiting period, this testing period for the man or for the, for the woman? Well, you guessed it. There it is. Verse 18. Before they came together, before they knew each other as man and wife, she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. This could have, was the worst thing that Joseph could have heard. This is the worst thing that he could have heard, at least based on his understanding of what he could have heard. You could imagine the pain, the shock of it all, right? I mean, he loved Mary. This was the woman that he wanted to be with. His dreams came true, and all of a sudden, he's being told this. And I I think it'd be quite possible... Because we have other accounts of the gospel in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 or 38. The angel Gabriel visits Mary. And I think it would be quite possible for Mary to give Joseph a heads up. Hey, by the way, by the way, an angel named Gabriel came visiting me at home when I was all alone. And he called me favored one. He greeted me and said, you're a favored one of God. And he also told me that I would have a son. And this son would be called the son of God. And he would be king forever. This is what Gabriel told me, Joseph. And I haven't been with anybody, I told this angel. How can this be since I'm a virgin? Well, the angel will go on, Gabriel will go on to say, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will do it. Joseph, this is going to happen. Joseph, this is what's going to happen. And what would Joseph do when he heard this? I'm not quite sure. How would any of us respond to this if you're in that situation? Well, evidently, according to verse 19, when this actually happened, when Mary was finally carrying this child within within her, verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. What does that mean? Righteous. This doesn't mean Joseph was a perfect man. This means that Joseph was a man who earnestly looked to obey God and God's law. This is someone who wanted to live for God in a very genuine way. The pattern and the trajectory of his life looked like this in obedience. Okay, obviously there's moments of lapses. He is a sinner just like you and I. But this man was a righteous man. And being a righteous man, 
he was not allowed to marry a, a immoral woman. He just couldn't, even if he wanted to, he couldn't do this. Joseph was in a bind, and Joseph was also a, what I like to call a Micah 6-8 man. A Micah 6-8 man. What's a Micah 6-8? For those of you who know the verse, he's, the one, he's a man who, or a woman who does justice, but loves mercy. He needed to do the right thing. Yeah, he need, he, he's going to do about, go about it in a very merciful, gracious way. Verse 19 goes on to say, not wanting to disgrace her. This would be a public scandal that would just tarnish her life forever, if not even get her killed. Disgrace her plan to send her away secretly. Not wanting to disgrace her, I'm going to do it secretly. I love Mary. Perhaps these thoughts were coming to his mind, or perhaps he was talking to his best friend. I love Mary, but I can't marry her. Not like this. There's no way. There's no way. So I'm going to do it privately. I'm going to explain to her why, but we're not going to take this to the courts. We're not going to let the whole community know what's going on. She's going to put her away. Matter of fact, they may even try to kill her. You know what the law says. A woman like this could be stoned. And what, what does he do next? Joseph, I mean, if you've been in a difficult situation like this, it's taxing. It's emotionally and physically draining I mean, I mean, there's one type of physical uh, exhaustion, but there's a, another type of exhaustion, emotional and mental exhaustion, as he's d- just, just trying to decide and figure out what do I do next. Well, verse 20, it says that when he had considered this, I mean, you knew he considered this deeply. He went deep into this consideration. So then an angel appeared to him in a dream. And was this a dream when he was awake? Well, no, because... Verse 24 says, when Joseph got up from his sleep, he fell asleep. He must have passed out. He must have fell asleep wherever he was at and was exhausted. from trying to figure out a good plan to kind of care for Mary. Yet at the same time, recovering from the shock and disappointment and the pain of what he just heard. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. God graciously visits him through an angel and this angel says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the one who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, son of David. He, this angel acknowledges that Joseph is a descendant of David, descendant of royalty. Although Joseph was an ordinary man. He was a, a tecton, a builder, a carpenter perhaps. This is what he was. He was a contractor. Is a blue-collar man, but he is connected to King David himself. And we know that there's much prophecy that says Jesus Christ, the Messiah, must come from the line of David. And this angel confirms and verifies Joseph, son of David, that you are a royal line, Joseph. You have to understand you're a candidate to be the surrogate father of the Messiah. For the one conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. Angel Lord confirms what perhaps Mary told him, that the Holy Spirit is the one that has done this. Mary is a faithful woman. Mary is pure. The angel, the Holy Spirit himself, God himself has come upon your wife. This child doesn't have a human father. This child is not what you think. This child is not what other people are going to judge you and Mary about for all your lives. This child comes in the most unique, 
the most extraordinary way possible. God is the one who did this. If you're sitting right here and this is perhaps the first time you heard this, you're right. This is impossible, right? You're right. If this is the first time you heard about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, you're right. It is impossible. And biology will say it is impossible, right? No one has a child by themselves. There's a male and female component, and people have children this way. We understand this. Because Mary asked the same thing. She asked the same thing. In Luke chapter 1, 34 and 35, But Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. I mean, Mary thought this as well. It is impossible and the, the, the image that comes to my mind is that of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where before anything was created, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the formless creation. The Spirit of God was hovering. And, and the, in, in essence, this is a picture of God's creative power, how God could do anything, and he do, has done anything to achieve his plans and will. God is the one who fathered the eternal son. God is the one that fathered this one that was in Mary's womb. In essence, this is a miracle of all miracles where the eternal one, the uncreated one, Jesus Christ, the son of God, is uncreated, never been created. He's a creator of all things, the Bible says, is merged with human flesh, merged with experiencing human emotions, merged with experiencing having a human soul, human spirit, And this little package is placed in Mary's womb. Jesus Christ, the eternal one, is brought into being in Mary's womb. I heard it written this way and heard it said this way. Define the virgin birth and you will lose your mind. All right? Try to define the virgin birth and you will lose your mind. And deny the virgin birth and you will lose your soul. Deny the virgin birth and you will lose your soul. This is how critical the virgin birth is to our, our faith. If the virgin birth didn't happen, it's just, or you don't believe the virgin birth because you're thinking, this is no way, this is possible. We don't believe the same things. We don't believe the same things. We believe it not because we totally understand it all. This is the mind of God that we're talking about. This is the plan of God. This is the power of God that we're talking about here. Of course, we don't understand exactly how this works. But we believe it because God's word says it happened this way. Clearly, God's word says it happened this way. The the virgin that has a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel goes on to say to Mary in Luke chapter 1, With God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. And, and we're dealing with something beyond our, com- our comprehension. Would you expect anything else from God? All right, this is what we're talking about. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ was clearly conceived by the Spirit. Let's go to the next portion here. The virgin birth was crucial for salvation. Crucial for salvation. Verse 21. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, this is, the, this is the Greek version of Yeshua or the Hebrew name Joshua. This word, this name Joshua or Jesus means Yahweh saves. 
Even in Jesus' name, chosen name by God, it tells us who and what Jesus is going to do for his people. And it says, for he will save, rescue, deliver us, his people. And look how personal that is. He goes, for he will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say all people, every single person, but he'll save his people. See, Jesus Christ came to this earth, dwelt among us, to come after and save a specific group of people. Right? The, the Bible says that we've been chosen before the foundations of the world. Do you believe this, Christians, that God has chosen you before he even said, let there be light? Isn't that amazing? Before we were a thought in our parents' mind, God chose you, Christians, to be part of his family. That, that's a staggering thought to me. The Bible will go on to say in Ephesians chapter 1 that we've been predestined from eternity past. God is the one that chose us. God is the one that predestined us to become followers of Jesus Christ. We have nothing to do with this. And this is such a personal salvation where Jesus, Yahweh saves, comes to earth to come and save his people. A specific group of people. That's why in John 10 it says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It doesn't say the good shepherd lies down for the sheep and the goats. It's just just for the sheep. This is a definite and specific atonement. God, Jesus Christ, came to die for his people. He came for you and me. So as you think about Christmas, this is not like a general gift that God gives us to that's available to him. God specifically packaged the gift for his people through his son, Jesus Christ. This is random. Our God had a precise plan to save his people. And this is from their sins. What is sins? Sins is, in essence, missing God's mark, failing to meet God's perfect moral standard. And God requires perfection to be with him. And who's a sinner? That's every one of us. The Bible says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us are like sheep who go off the path. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. That's every single one of us. And it goes on to say the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are sinners, that's every single one of us, on our own merit will never inherit, never receive the kingdom of God. We will never enter to the gates of heaven on our own merit. Not one of us. Now, what, why, are we, why are we talking about all this then? What does the virgin birth have to do with all of this, Pastor? Well, we've got to understand that man was born into sin. Romans 5 talks about how Adam was our first father. Adam and Eve, the first person created. He sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. He sinned, but God holds Adam responsible. Through Adam, sin has been transferred to all, every single one of us. From our first father, we've been imputed with this sin virus. Psalm 51.5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, sin, and in my sin my mother conceived me. At the moment of conception, the fallen sin nature is passed down to every single one of us. So we do not sin because, we're, because we make mistakes. We sin because it's our nature. Somebody has put it this way, man is not a sinner because he sins. But man sins because he is a sinner. It's who we are. 
It's who we are. It's, it's into the fabric of our spiritual DNA. It's, it's just woven into us through our, through our first father, Adam. Therefore, a human father will not do to be Jesus' father. You, you, you get this? If, if Joseph or another man was Jesus' actual father, Jesus would just be like one of us. He would not be sinless. Therefore, God needed to father Jesus as, as, as our Savior. So Jesus is, our, is a sinless Savior. And salvation requires the perfect sacrifice. God required a perfect payment. In other words, not any of us could meet that standard because all of us have sinned at least once. Right, obviously multiple, countless times. Hebrews 4.15 says this, Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Perfect. First Peter 1.19 says he is the lamb without blemish. He is the lamb. He was a sacrifice that didn't have any defects, any spots, anything to hold him back. Matthew 26.28, Jesus says, my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood is perfect and pure. This is why the Spirit of God, God himself, needed the Father, Jesus. So as we're learning about the virgin birth, you should be thinking about this. I see why more specifically why Matthew makes it clear, I mean, four or five times that Jesus came of a virgin and that the Spirit of God would father or sire the son in Mary's womb. The Bible will go on to say that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. For our guiltiness. The Bible goes on to say he was crushed for our iniquities. On the cross, Jesus Christ would be crushed by God the Father on the cross to pay the price that you and I needed to pay. It says, by his wounds we are healed. This is what Christmas is about. The birth of Christ was just the beginning. Jesus will come and accomplish so much more on this earth. The birth of Christ is this baby boy, but he grew up to become a man who lived a perfect life. Tempted in every way you think the, 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 the forces of hell were trying to cause him to sin. But there was no way. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. The life that only he could live. See, the virgin birth is absolutely crucial for the Savior to do his job of rescuing his people. Third point. Let's go to the third and final point. The virgin birth was confirmed by the scriptures. Was confirmed by the scriptures. Verse 22 says this, now all this took place. So Matthew interjects now. Matthew jumps in as the narrator interrupts this narrative. He writes, now all this took place in order that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet will be fulfilled. Spoken by the Lord. See, Matthew was wrote this gospel mainly for a Jewish audience. So the Jewish audience would know a lot of prophecy and scripture from the Old Testament that was being fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And Matthew would know that for anyone who comes from that line, that the word of God is a final authority. And for our benefit as well, 2,000 years later, Matthew writes this prophecy here. Verse 23, I found out of Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin, there it is again, shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, which translated means God with us. 
And Matthew, matter of fact, adds perhaps uh, three or four, or four prophecies, messianic prophecies, just in the first two chapters, talking about the coming of Jesus Christ to prove without a shadow of a doubt. So we don't have to go out based on anyone's account, but the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ will come from a virgin. This, this uh, quote from Isaiah 7, 14 was written approximately 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. And in, the, in, in Isaiah, this word for virgin that is translated virgin in English is alma, which in essence means unmarried woman or a virgin. An unmarried woman would be a virgin. Someone who has not been with a man yet. And this virgin will give birth to a child, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. Jesus Christ is God himself as well. Isaiah 9, 6 is, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Us. His people. The written word becomes the living word. The word of God was walking amongst us 2,000 years ago. Colossians 2.9 says all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Jesus never ceased to be God when he became flesh. Jesus is always God. Jesus just took on human flesh, took on human nature. It's as if it's an addition. Jesus never subtracted from his divinity. Jesus was always God from eternity past to, to the time he walked the earth, even in heaven. He's always been God. But he added human flesh. This is called incarnation. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Or another way you could say Jesus is truly God and truly man. These are both true statements. And God walked among us to save his people. And why did Jesus need to be fully God and fully man? This is an important question. Why did Jesus have to be fully God and fully man to redeem his people? Well, it takes an eternal being to pay the price for countless sinners. Who knows how many voices will be in the hallelujah chorus in heaven someday? Who knows how many? But countless, many. So it takes an eternal being to pay the price for countless sinners. He needed to be human, fully human. Not part human, but fully human. Because a human needed to represent the human race. The Bible says a lamb or a goat or an animal isn't able to redeem humans. A human needs to die for another human. And that's what Jesus was and is. Fully God, fully man. And look what happens into Joseph's mind now. This is a, this is a staggering point in this, port, uh, this narrative here, verse 24. And Joseph got up from his sleep. He had that aha moment. Physically he woke up, but spiritually, he, I get it. I get it now. I wonder what that conversation was like when he got up. Mary, Mary, I, or, I, I told you what I was planning to do. Mary, Mary, forgive me. I should have believed you. If she told him the account of Gabriel, I should have believed you. 
forgive me, I, I, I knew, I even understood the prophecy, but I didn't see it happening right here. Mary, now I understand the Lord's plan. Everything you told me is all true. Can you imagine that moment? And he goes, I will do what the Lord has commanded us to do. And verse 20, 24 goes on to say, he got up from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Took Mary as his wife. Yet, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. You see, even in our weakness, even in our, our lack of faith, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus Christ, isn't God so gracious that he would come alongside Joseph and let him know what he needs to do personally? This is, this is the graciousness of God. God will make sure his plans are fulfilled. And look what Joseph does. He called his name Jesus. In that era, if you were to name somebody, you, in effect, became their father. Obviously, he wasn't the biological father. Obviously, he was a surrogate father. But because of that, Jesus is connected to the line of David now. Isn't that amazing? Through obedience, through uh, radical obedience, because we understand and believe the word of God, God does amazing things through us. God uses a simple carpenter to father and take care of Jesus Christ on this earth. His legal name. He becomes his legal father. I mean, isn't this an amazing backstory to Luke chapter 2 as Brother Keith read? I mean, all those glories of Luke chapter 2 wouldn't have happened unless we understand Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. How God himself comes in to the life and the mind of Joseph and sets him straight. In Luke chapter 2, it says he would take Mary and leave for Nazareth. And they would journey on down, even that is a level of faith, to Bethlehem to be registered. Luke chapter 2, let me just finish up here. Luke chapter 2, 16 says this, So they went in a hurry, the shepherds came in a hurry, and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger, in the feeding trough. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. The angels told the, angel told the shepherds, he's the savior of the world. And they go tell him what exactly to constantly array from Joseph. You did the right thing. Mary, you're, part, you're being used by God. You are a favored one. Imagine what that was like for these two in that moment. And all who heard it, all Mary and Joseph, perhaps even some of Joseph's relatives who were visiting their child, the newborn child, who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Look what 19, verse 19 of Luke uh, 2 says, But Mary was treasuring all these things, pondering them in her heart. Say, wow. Just like what was sung earlier by the a cappella group. Mary, did you know? Pondering what are the possibilities how God will use his child. Or she would, even she didn't know in that moment. Now she does. Now she knows the full weight of it, but she didn't even know in that moment. Mary, did you know? And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as was told them. Church family, this is the story of Christmas. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, Emmanuel, and dwelt among us, God with us. 
This is the amazing story that we're called to do. Just like the shepherds did. The shepherds went out glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and seen. And they're telling everybody. This is the message that we have been entrusted to tell people about the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the coming of Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is much more than the birth of Christ. There's a huge backstory, but there's another story that's coming right now. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's coming to judge the living and the dead and come to get his people so that we could be with him forever. Emmanuel means God with us. Emmanuel, our God that we worship, the God that we serve, the God that we say that we love is a relational God. God knows exactly how you're feeling right now. God knows exactly how you're doing right now. God holds your future in his hands. As you're embarking on new things, know that God is with you. Just know that as there's concerns and fears, He understands. Even Mary didn't know the full weight of this. Mary treasured and pondered these things. I wonder how far this is going to go. So this is the God that we serve. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Really, we celebrate Christmas every day, every Lord's Day as well. We celebrate the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And my encouragement to us is if you do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, treasure these things in your heart. Ponder these things. Meditate upon these things as Mary did. Treasure these doctrines that Jesus Christ came as a virgin, why it was important. Let these things minister to you. Ponder these things. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, know this. Jesus Christ did incarnate on this earth. He did walk this earth as a human. Fully God, fully man. But if he hasn't incarnated in your hearts today, these promises aren't for you. We don't, you don't get to be with God. You will be separated from God. That's the difference. God with us is for his people. God with us. He, Jesus says, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, to the end of time. I'm with that. That is for Christians, those who have Christ incarnated in our hearts as our Lord and Savior. If Christ has only been a thought to you and hasn't been incarnated into your hearts, do it today. The free offer of salvation is available. Today is the day where you could give your life to Jesus Christ. Repent, acknowledge that you're a sinner, and say, Lord Jesus, I need the forgiveness that you offer on the cross. And through your death and resurrection, I want to commit to following you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to uh, go over your birth what a miraculous birth. What an what a inc- inconceivable way that you would come. No one else would think this but you, Lord. But your plan is greater than all of ours. And as Gabriel declared confidently that for with God nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with you. Thank you for doing the impossible for those of us who are in Christ. That you saved us from eternal destruction and brought us into your family through your son Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your spirit conceived the son in Mary's womb. Thank you that your spirit gives rebirth to those who are in Christ. Thank you Lord Jesus for being gracious 
to Joseph and encouraging him to be obedient. Thank you for his obedience. Thank you for all the providential things that you ordered, for all the prophecy, all the plans to be fulfilled. Thank you for Matthew's account, how he diligently uh, detailed the accounts, yet backed it up with scripture as well. Thank you for that his entire, the words of Matthew are your very words, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you help us to believe more. Help us to believe more and more in your son, Jesus Christ. Just like the man says, I believe, help me, help my unbelief. And Father, I pray for those right now who are on the fence, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they will hear your words out of Isaiah 45. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Enter into the kingdom. Narrows the way to life. Broad is the road to, to destruction. Enter the one gate. Father, I pray these will enter into the, your gate through your son Jesus Christ today and give their lives to your son. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.